Hi, and welcome to another Visma Texon talk. Uh, my name is Milo Lujic, and in this uh, Texon talk, we will talk about software quality engineering in Visma. We will go a bit further down into what testing and quality is, as these terms are interchangeably used uh, with each other, and try to differentiate a bit between those two. Uh, we also look into how we are testing in Visma today, like how we are doing software testing and how are, are we doing the quality assurance. And also we will look a bit into how we think we will test and assure software uh, in the future. So let's start a bit with the elephant in the room, actually, these terms, test, testing and actually quality. And the definition of testing, uh, there are a lot of them, uh, but two of my favorites are these ones. The first one being from James Bach, who says that testing is the process of evaluating a product by learning about it through experience, exploring, experimenting, which includes to some degree questioning, studying, modeling, observation, interference, etc. And the second one being that, uh, which can be found in the foundations of software testing uh, coined by uh, Connor and Fiedler, uh, is about that we design and run tests in order to gain useful information about the product's quality. And these two, I think, encapsulate what testing is basically. But as we see in the second sort of um, definition, we are trying to find some information about the product's quality. And then that leads us to the question, what is actually quality? And the one that basically said it the best was uh, Jerry Weinberg, that quality is value to some person. And this, can definitely, um, this is definitely true because something that I consider as a quality product or quality service may not necessarily be what you consider as a quality service or quality product because we have different expectations, we have yeah, different things that actually affect what is quality for us. And one thing that was added a bit later to this uh, quote uh, by James Bach was actually quality is valued to some person who matters. And this actually indicates that we can narrow down our scope uh, of who defines the quality. In some cases, basically, that if we turn to uh, our customers or our users, perhaps they can also help us with defining the quality. And I definitely think that uh, our users and our end users uh, and customers are actually the ones who are the only ones who can actually define what is a quality product for them. And that is what we should try to stretch for. Because we all know that uh, if we perform a test or we do some testing against a product, uh, we don't actually necessarily improve the quality because we are not actually changing the end-to-end code. So we can do some investigation, we can try to figure out how or what kind of product this is, uh, who is it for, uh, how it works, uh, is it satisfactory or not. But actually saying that uh, this is a high quality product is really difficult if we don't get any input from the end users actually using this uh, product. And the only ones who can actually change the quality of something is actually the ones who are writing the code. Because basically the ones who are writing the code can actually change quality. You can test as much as you like, but the quality still remains the same. But that doesn't mean that if you find a bug and you fix that bug, that you have a higher quality product. Because if you fix that bug, you can actually introduce several new bugs, so actually the quality can decrease. So this is why it's really, really important that we do not try to make a lot of assumptions uh, ourselves. We definitely need to involve our end users much more in order to 
see how they perceive uh, our products, whether they are quality products or not. So there is definitely a relationship between quality and testing, but not a correlation. And the best testing efforts actually don't always result in a product quality, as stated here. But what actually quality consists of, since it's so difficult actually to, to define and it means so different things for different people, I think what Dan Ashby has uh, done here uh, with these three uh, different dimensions of quality is sort of the, the nearest what we can come to sort of defining the quality in a, in a more broadened, broader sense. Uh, he's that the quality consists of three different dimensions. Uh, first one is the usefulness which is basically referring to the value or the worth of something. Uh, second one being the correctness, meeting the expectations or the requirements or the needs. Um, and also the third one is about goodness, the emotive experience of something. And this could be basically like how you feel uh, using this product. Do you sort of get angry or uh, do you get uh, upset or do you then sort of give up a bit uh, when actually using this product? And a good example here could be, for instance, like uh, if you consider a T-shirt, uh, the value of worth of the T-shirt, are you willing to pay X amount of uh, um, Norwegian kroner, for instance, or some other currency for, for, that, um, for that shirt? What kind of value does it provide to you? Like, uh, when you wear the shirt, are you sort of meeting some norms uh, of the society? Do you actually need the shirt at all? Why, why do you actually wear a shirt? So this is ba basically the, the usefulness of a product. But when, of course, you consider the correctness of the product, like if you buy a small uh, shirt or a large one or the correct size, or what kind of size the shirt uh, do you actually want? Is it large, medium, small? Also, what kind of materials are is this shirt made of? Are they comfortable to wear or not? All of these are basically your expectations or some requirements that you have or, or even needs. And then this, the third one about the goodness, how you actually feel wearing the shirt. Is it like a, just another shirt in your closet you don't, don't care that much about it? Or is it actually a really special shirt perhaps given to you by someone special or representing something special? All of these three, three things can actually be really valuable in defining uh, the quality. And we can basically as uh, testers or quality engineers, we can actually try to think about uh, these three things. We can try to fit the shoes of our uh, end users and customers, but basically it can be really difficult to assess them. And perhaps we get one of these three rights or two of these three rights, but it's really difficult to get all of the three rights representing a larger um, representation of the customers. So if we look at the relationship between quality and testing, it's that basically that testing is a process of evaluating this. Uh, by learning about it, as mentioned, through different uh, experiencing, exploring, experimenting, in order to gain, gain some information about the product's quality. And I also like to use this, uh, which is coined by uh, Michael Bolton, the two different things within testing. If you look at testing as sort of the whole um, experience or the, the whole definition, uh, we can also divide it into two parts. One part being the testing part and the second part being the checking part, where basically the checking part is more or less an algorithmic check whether things work or doesn't work or passed or didn't pass. So basically it's a often a, a, like a binary outcome or, of this. And what was later a bit um, 
uh, added by uh, Jeff Neiman was that basically you can also think about testing as uh, inactivities, uh, which I also find it really useful. And that is that testing as an execution activity could be like uh, the checking part, but also testing as a design and a learning activity uh, is the one that is the testing part. So basically, when you're doing some testing, you are actually exploring the product, you are trying to design new uh, cases, perhaps, which you want to automate. Uh, and also, you are actually learning more and more about the product. While when you are executing things that can be checked, where basically that when you run a set of automation tests or something that can be binary, uh, yes and no, then you are basically doing the checking part. And these are two terms that are basically used a bit interchangeably with each other. So how are we actually testing software and assuring quality in Visma today? Basically, the first thing that everyone needs to have in mind is the context. So context is everything. And in Visma, we build hundreds of uh, different services, some very critical to society, others less critical to society. So this in itself means that we can actually have the same approach to testing and quality assurance for all different services that we create. And of course, you can also think about it uh, in these terms, like if you were tasked to test a pen uh, and you need to design a test strategy for that or a quality assurance strategy for this, uh, you will probably have some kind of activities in mind, basically, like you need to check whether it works, if you can turn it on and off, perhaps how long can you write with it before it gets exhausted, etc. So it could be like a really simple thing. So if it doesn't work, perhaps you just throw it away, take another one. So basically not something critical. But if you sort of do testing in the same way with everything that you come across, and then the next thing you are about to test is basically like a pacemaker, then you will be probably in big trouble because you cannot sort of reuse the same strategy for testing a pacemaker as you did with testing a pen. So always you need to think about um, context. What are you testing? Who is it for? How critical is it? Can it be replaced? Can it be removed? Uh, really simple stuff. Even with a pen example, it could be that this pen that you are actually testing could be like a used in a life um, deciding moment, uh, whether you should save a life or not. So even in that case, uh, it's really important to think about who are the stakeholders, who are the users, uh, how is it going to be used? A lot of different things need to be considered. And just to illustrate one small example uh, of testing and sort of context dependent, really easy one at least. So if I show you these three letters here and ask you to think about what they are representing for you or what they mean to you, or even if you want to read them out loud, a lot of you would probably read them out as CBH, which is quite a normal thing to do, put into the context of what was uh, being shown to you earlier and what we are sort of showing in this uh, presentation. But actually, just by changing a small thing you would also actually start thinking about those three letters as actually something else. So before where we were thinking about CBH uh, being written in Latin, because we started this presentation in Latin uh, uh, as well, now suddenly the context changed and we are actually looking at the slide uh, where all the letters are in Cyrillic. And now you would probably not think about CBH as CBH, but actually rather than uh, SVN, which are the same letters uh, just only in Cyrillic. So this is just a small example of how the context can change really fast and why also you need to 
think about these contexts uh, when you're actually doing testing and quality assurance. So how have we actually changed in, in Visma uh, the last um, sort of years, basically? Uh, all of the different practices that sort of we used and that worked previously um, probably don't work today. So basically, we have tried to break a lot of barriers, a lot of wars, uh, walls uh, when it comes to um, breaking down different silos, uh, etc. So what we did five years ago, uh, which was a great practice, uh, all the teams did it. Uh, just to take one example was that we had these uh, system test tweaks where we actually gathered a lot of teams who were integrating with each other. Uh, every time uh, one of the products were about to release uh, a larger version uh, or a major version of that product. We spent many weeks with each other trying out different combinations, finding bugs, and actually when fixing those bugs before the customers got hold of their the latest version, we basically had uh, one more run of it, like a one system test number two, just to make sure that all the uh, performance, all the security and everything were also uh, thought about. Uh, that worked really well back then, in five, six, seven, ten years ago. Today, those practices would probably put, off, uh, put out um, a lot of these teams out of uh, service, basically, more or less. So what we did then, what we do now, it's completely different practice. So how are we actually doing software engineering in 2021? Um, not to deep dive too much uh, into it, but, but basically today we want to give our customers and our end users um, everything that they can basically wish for and, and get in a matter of uh, even minutes, sometimes hours, days, weeks, basically, um, because the users and the customers are actually expecting changes quickly. That, that is what they have become used to with a lot of other services, and that is what we are providing in Visma as well. So we are focusing a lot on continuous delivery. Uh, we are focusing a lot on uh, public cloud uh, because we want to utilize all the great effects that uh, that has. And also we are uh, practicing a lot of the DevOps mindset um, because we want the teams to think about uh, and be res fully responsible for everything that they create uh, from sort of the idea that comes in, for example, from a customer or a user or um, the developer or whoever has an idea for doing a greater change, uh, and into owning that actually change into production and actually beyond. Uh, but uh, Alexander has a great talk about this uh, in a previous Visma Texon talk, uh, which he deep dives into how we are actually developing software in, uh, in Visma and uh, utilizing how we are doing DevOps, basically. So I encourage you to, to take a look at that. Um, but what we are focusing on uh, in this continuous uh, delivery uh, effort is continuous testing, of course. And what this means to us is actually what we are going to discuss a bit now. Because testing is really a really important part um, of the software engineering practice that we do. Um, and this must be in pair, sort of how we create, how we develop, how we release uh, software today. So basically, you cannot actually do software testing in one way, and you actually do software uh, delivery in another way, or software development in another way. That actually doesn't work for anyone. And this is why we also are, um, since we are delivering continuously, we also need to test continuously. And these are sort of the practices that we are basically doing. 
but if we look at this um, uh, symbol here that has been used a lot for continuous delivery, we also see that testing is actually uh, one phase or one part of this uh, that comes after planning, code, building, then you test something, release, deploy, etc. For us uh, in Visma, this actually does not work. So we are actually not doing testing in, in this phase or um, we don't actually have a known phase for this. What we actually do uh, is that we are testing all over the place. So we are actually testing as soon as then there is an idea, we need to test whether that idea and, and check whether that idea is actually valuable or whether that idea uh, is the correct one. So we need to test that idea perhaps out on, on the customers through basically writing it down on paper, doing some surveys uh, with the customers, see, try to see whether this is something that they would like, uh, or we do create like a proof of concept, uh, deploy it into production, uh, do some A-B testing, or even uh, more like a smaller releases of this, and actually ask the customers to come with feedback uh, before we actually invest more time in, in doing that. Well, what this means for us is basically that since testing is not one phase in itself, but is done uh, continuously throughout uh, the deliver delivery and development lifecycle is that we need to shift this testing effort a lot more to the left and also a lot more to the right. And what this means for us is that basically that shifting it left means that we need to start thinking quite critically about what we are actually developing, what we are testing, what we are making. So critical thinking is really important part um, of the shifting left. Um, and also, of course, trying to test as low down in the test automation pyramid that we can. Um, also try to um, apply to some coding standards, um, uh, do some early security checks, uh, and basically get a really, really quick feedback. If something fails, uh, everything needs to stop, we need to fix it, and then we go further on. So we're thinking about uh, test ideas, uh, testability really, really early. Uh, and also as a whole team, that is really, really important uh, for us. But also, uh, at least uh, important uh, is also to uh, shift right as well, because only shifting left will do one part, but also we need to shift right in order to uh, involve the end users and the customers uh, even more. So when we talk about shifting right, we are actually talking about testing much more sort of in, in production, uh, utilizing monitoring more, um, doing much more small tests, uh, quicker deployments, uh, quicker, quicker releases as well to the customers, uh, doing A-B testing, um, and also basically uh, reliability testing and also performance engineering uh, quite early on, and also in production, basically live. So this leads us to our continuous testing strategy, uh, which first of all is the quick feedback, a lot of automation, uh, the test automation pyramid, or even actually diamond, uh, which we'll go into. Uh, no manual regression testing, exploratory testing, sort of the only form of uh, uh, testing that we would like, so no scripted testing, manual testing at least. And non-functional testing uh, together with the whole team approach, and why that is really important for us. So the first part uh, is about the quick feedback. So as I mentioned, something that comes uh, from an idea, uh, through the different phases out until it's in production, it's really important for us to get quick feedback on all of these steps, uh, either from a, from a customer perspective or a user perspective uh, or a quality perspective. So we want to know that if we are implementing something, whether that technically works, but also whether it's a, like a functional and valuable proposition for our end users. 
So when basically we are deploying a new change, it goes through these uh, basically steps, and this is representable for quite many of the teams uh, in this one. It goes from an idea to a design and, and uh, refinement uh, phase where we uh, discuss these uh, changes. We uh, try to come up with acceptance criteria, uh, what works, what doesn't work, um, and also when starting to implement it, we try to do it uh, sort of both uh, from a developer perspective and testing perspective at the same time. So the testing effort does not come uh, after the development uh, effort. So either the testing effort comes uh, before and it starts before with sort of the idea and testability, and then the effort continues throughout the, the process. So basically when this is uh, deployed to the first environment, and in our cases, the first environment that we deploy in is sort of an internal and quite isolated environment because we don't want to, the teams to be really dependent uh, of each other really early on. So we want the teams to be basically their own masters of their own code and also the integrations uh, that we create. Uh, before and if everything works there, um, before we promote that um, to, to stage, there's a lot of testing that is done, a lot of uh, automation that is in place. Uh, and basically when this works, uh, we promote it to stage we, where everything is basically um, real integrations with all the different teams. And then um, if everything works there, there well, we promote to, to production, basically where all the end users and the customers are. And basically the, the time it takes from an idea to production can vary a bit. We, we try to keep it as low as possible. And also we try to differentiate between sort of deployment to production and also releasing production. So uh, all the teams should be able to deploy to production in a really quick and fast way, whilst of, of course releasing to production that could vary um, quite much from the teams. But when we talk about quick feedback, we definitely want to sort of know that if something uh, is not functioning as we expect it to do, we need to get feedback from our delivery pipeline uh, everything needs to stop, uh, we need to fix it, and we start the process all over again. Uh, when it comes to automation, uh, as mentioned, we are trying all of our testing and quality assurance effort are trying to support the continuous delivery effort that we have. Uh, so in order to support these frequent uh, deliveries that we do, we need to automate as much as possible because we cannot regression test manually uh, a lot of things and sort of expect the quality to be the same. Because we all know how sort of uh, fun or not fun uh, doing manual repetitive testing is. So those are the tests that we definitely want to uh, to automate. <clears throat> but we also want to automate those tests in a way that uh, they are maintainable. So if they are for some reason flaky or uh, you have some tests that you sort of can run, um, you know that if you run that test a couple of times, it will pass. Those tests we try to stay away from, or even we need to either we need to delete those tests, or we actually need to refactor them and make them basically trustable, because that is really important for us is that we have trust in the test automa automated tests that we create, so that we know that when something fails, if something stops, it actually did stop for a reason and actually not uh, because of some flakiness. So we don't actually use any uh, cold coverage uh, metrics. So we don't have like a requirement that everything needs to be have 100% cold coverage. But we, what we do say is that basically we want high percentage of uh, test coverage, and we also want 100% of the tests to be trustable. 
So we trust our tests. When they fail, they fail for a reason. Now, when it comes to flaky tests, of course, we, we try to use um, some stable IDs for them. If this is uh, basically done through the UI, uh, try to use some intelligent weights and sort of not use the, the hard-coded sleeves. And also, we try to shift the UI test as possible sort of to API tests, if that's uh, basically available for that service that you, uh, that you create. So all of these uh, tests need to be, of course, green in, in order for, for the build or the deployment to, to pass. Um, and of course, our end goal here is that we get really quick feedback uh, from, from these tests. Uh, what we're utilizing for driving this uh, forward is, of course, this well-known test automation pyramid. Um, and what we try to illustrate uh, with the test automation pyramid uh, is that the tests are written with different granularity. Uh, for us, it doesn't matter whether you call this uh, like a unit uh, layer or service layer, UI layer, or what kind of layers uh, you have. Some teams have multiple layers here, not only three. Uh, other teams have only three layers because that may make uh, most sense for them. But what is really important is that everyone in teams understand this concept of that you're writing actually tests uh, or automated tests or checks in different granularity and with different uh, things in mind because you want the unit test to give you really quick feedback if something is really failing early on, but you also want to have some kind of UI tests or end-to-end -end tests which are testing sort of the more flow um, from like a customer perspective. And of course, the harder you get uh, in this test automation pyramid, the fewer tests you should have um, because basically we they are running much more slower, uh, but they are also much more um, difficult to write, they require um, an environment in some cases. Um, so we try to push the tests as far down as possible. Uh, and as mentioned, we are also trying to remove uh, these tests that doesn't provide any value. Um, it sort of doesn't matter if you have automated it uh, and use it for many, many years. Uh, if they don't provide you any value, you should definitely remove them. And then we're also seeing some teams that are developing sort of really small microservices and either serverless, um, utilizing serverless technology, that perhaps in some, some of these cases, this test automation pyramid is actually becoming more of a test automation diamond, where actually these teams uh, tend to have a bit fewer unit tests, but actually puts much more effort into the service tests or the API tests, because that is actually how these uh, microservices are accessed and basically how it's used. So and these tests are also quite quick to write, quick to run. So this makes much more sense for, for this team. So uh, with this, we are actually not following the test automation pyramid like religiously, that it needs to have a shape of a pyramid. And as mentioned, what is important for us is that these things are separated and known um, and written with different granularity. And why we actually need uh, these different parts of the testing is basically uh, if you look at some of these uh, fun examples where I'm pretty sure whoever created these uh, different products or, or um, things, they will work really well sort of uh, in, in isolation. But of course, uh, when you try them out in combination with other things uh, or actually try them out live as with this umbrella uh, on the right here, they are actually uh, basically not working as expected. So. Don't forget about the sort of end-to-end -end tests, uh, like the real-world tests uh, as well. Then when we are talking about uh, exploratory testing, 
uh, that is actually the only sort of testing where where we are which we are performing if i may sort of say manually even i know that that is a bit uh, sort of low determined and uh, discussed term in the, in the testing um, uh, industry uh, but this is the the only sort of style of testing that um, that emphasizes this rapid uh, learning uh, that we learn about the test design and the test execution, the test execution. Um, and we are not using this uh, sort of in any form like a, like a pre-written test or scripted tests or an, anything like that. Um, and we all know that whoever has done sort of uh, exploratory testing that when you sort of uh, trial things that doesn't feel right or doesn't seem right uh, or you test uh, sort of a part of the software that you know is being buggy, we always uh, sort of come across a lot of uh, different uh, issues. And if we look at sort of the test automation as our sort of safety net, uh, what we can think about uh, about exploratory testing is basically that uh, even though we can automate a lot of things in advance um, with sort of uh, these automated tests on, on different levels, we all know that we cannot think about all the different scenarios or uh, usage scenarios, how the end users or the customers will use our services. So we are basically uh, trying to find these different holes in our safety net uh, by using exploratory testing. We learn more about the product, we learn about more about the usage of it, uh, and then we experience some, some issues, of course, some bugs perhaps that we haven't thought about. And then we try to automate some of these tests, which makes sense to automate. So uh, we should definitely not automate everything. Um, and it's not possible to automate everything, basically. So exploratory testing for us uh, is basically used to, to learn about the product, to, um, to try to find these different corner cases, um, and also to, to try to, to figure out where we have sort of missed uh, in when it comes to automated tests and automated checks to find these different holes in, in the net. Uh, when it comes to non-functional testing, there are sort of the three of the non-functional testing that we are focusing a lot on, uh, probably others uh, as well, but perhaps in a smaller scale. So I'll just highlight uh, these three. Uh, one of them is being sort of the performance testing. Uh, but we actually gone away from the term performance testing because it implies sort of low testing, so testing and everything. And we believe that performance can no longer be verified by only doing that kind of testing um, or yeah, testing. Uh, so what we are referring to when we, when we talk about performance is performance engineering, uh, which we try to sort of um, encapsulate the, the term by involving a lot of other roles within the team, and which is also done throughout um, the development lifecycle. And this means that you do run performance tests still. You have a lot of low tests. Uh, you have a lot of um, uh, SOAP tests uh, or stress tests or any other kind of performance tests uh, that you can think about. We still do those things, but in a much more smaller scale or only when, when needed and where, where we see fit, basically. Uh, what we are utilizing much more, of course, is monitoring in production. So basically, when you are deploying small things, small changes in production, uh, we also want to live monitor how this change is actually impacting our uh, um, our usage or the experience of a customer. So basically, monitoring has become a really, really important part uh, of um, how uh, performance engineering is done. 
Uh, and also, we think that the performance engineering is also quite much driven by the business requirements or the, or, or the customer requirements. What do we actually promise to the customers? Uh, are we fulfilling those expectations? And those are also things that we need to constantly uh, check out and, and see if we are actually um, delivering on those. When it comes to reliability testing, uh, it's really important sort of to have uh, like a, a plan uh, because we all know that even though we think that this will probably never happen to us, uh, things do happen to us and we need to try to plan uh, for when some both likely and unlikely scenarios happen, how are we going to deal with that uh, disaster basically? How are we going to recover? Um, and when it comes to, to testing, we, we try to run a series of likely and sometimes unlikely scenarios uh, happening to our services. Uh, basically, that things uh, go down in, in different regions, that some services are not available. Um, and also, in, internally, when you are also developing a service, we're also trying to remove different components that we know that this service affects, uh, um, uh, depends upon. So basically, if you have some, some kind of uh, login service, uh, we can basically remove that one and see whether the session is still uh, up and running and you can still sort of use your um, your, your uh, credentials and then login uh, sessions. Uh, but then, of course, we, we try to remove many, many different parts and see actually how the different services uh, affect each other, basically. And why we do that is because we definitely want to discover if we have some single point of failure because for our end users and our customers we actually don't want them to to try to use a part functionality of a service and if like uh, part b is down uh, part a c and d and all the other parts cannot be used because of only one component being down so these are the things that we actually try to uh, to re reveal here um, and also, we want to know that if things go down, that they are quickly recovering again, either automatically or in some cases, uh, if there are some manual efforts needed to be done, uh, this is really important that we, we test and check up uh, in front. Uh, we're also trying to, to send a lot of uh, different kind of unexpected and expected data throughout our workflows, both mutated, incorrect, invalid, uh, basically a lot of unexpected input, just to see how the services will actually react and, and uh, behave on, on this. And of course, when things go down and things doesn't work as we expect them to do, we also want to see how the customer experience or user experience is in, in this sense and what kind of information we are actually giving to the customers, whether the customer sees sort of a, a nice um, information flow that unfortunately is not available right now. Please check the status page uh, to see when it's be, uh, coming back up again. Or are we presenting something that we actually didn't uh, intend to present or some behavior that we didn't expect to, to present? So this is a lot of focus uh, is uh, about the reliability testing as well. And the last part of the non-functional testing is about security. And security is testing and uh, sort of checking is basically done the same way as we do for application code. Basically, we are shifting a lot of left, a lot to the right. And security awareness is like really becoming a natural part or actually is a natural part of our engineering lifecycle. So everything from statical code analysis to different audits uh, are done. Uh, all the services are tested against the OWASP uh, top 10 uh, vulnerability lists. 
And we are actually doing a lot of penetration testing, both internally and externally, in order to secure our services uh, even more. But you can definitely read much more about it in the interlink provided uh, here. And also, we have to uh, take some talks about uh, security from Joachim and Nesten, which I encourage you to, to take a look at. And we will probably have more in the future as well. And when we come to testing and production, we we basically have two camps of people uh, in, in this here. Uh, one is, of course, yeah, why not just do it, test in production. And as this meme says here, like, I don't always test my code, but when I do, I do it in production. And then we have uh, the other one, of course, saying that one does not simply test in production. So in this one, we are basically a bit sort of in between here. So we are not on the one side or the other side. Of course, you need to test the code before production. But also, we are not there that we say that you should, you should not test it. Because if we think about it, the only and real environment that we have is and that our customers care about is actually the production. No one cares about if all of your tests passed all the different test stages or that everything worked well in staging, but then when you deployed it, production didn't work for one or several customers. No, none of the customers actually care about what you have done from a test effort perspective. Um, they just care about that it works and that it does what it's supposed to do. But of course, we can think about like, okay, is it dangerous to test in production? Yeah, it could be. But of course, you should think about what you are, you are doing. And uh, we encourage basically that you should test before you come to production, but also testing in production is really okay. But relying only on testing in production, that is actually not recommended. So the things that we actually do test in production um, are, of course, uh, as mentioned before, we have a set of heartbeat tests. So every time we deploy something, we want to check that things are responding and that things are up and running. Uh, for some teams, um, this is sort of enough. They don't uh, need to do more testing. Uh, for other teams, they also would like to have like small end-to-end -end tests, uh, like small, small tests that gives them sort of the feedback, uh, okay, we have deployed a new change in production. Can I actually go in and use my um, most business critical functionality? Please run through this from a from a test perspective and give us feedback whether that works or not. Uh, in some cases, we do deploy new changes, but they are perhaps not released to all the customers um, uh, just yet. So we can actually do a lot of exploratory testing in there just to see how things work. Um, and actually, this can also be and released and opened up for a certain amount of uh, uh, customers just to get their feedback on how this works and um, to see how well, if we have sort of created what they have actually desired. And also, in some cases, uh, we could do some reliability testing uh, as well. But of course, this is uh, done really carefully and also after a lot of uh, checking uh, in, in staging and other environment as well. And one thing that we are definitely doing a lot of in production is continuously monitoring. So if there is any sort of degradation or anything that is um, happening in production, uh, we do have a lot of monitoring in place to alert us about that so that we can act really fast. And all of these things that we've talked about now, they are basically really, really difficult to achieve if you have sort of an own testing that is only responsible for the testing, or if you have one um, role in the team that only does testing and no one else. So basically, uh, testing and quality assurance uh, today in a modern way of working <clears throat> is a actually real sort of whole team approach. Uh, and as we see sort of in, in this uh, illustration here, 
uh, we can have a lot of heroes in, in the team that we have, but basically you cannot save the world alone. You need to sort of utilize all of your superpowers as a developer, as a product owner, as a business analyst, UX uh, designer um, and tester, and all of these, uh, or quality assurer, quality engineer, uh, or whatever uh, you like to call uh, the roles. Uh, all of these uh, different roles need to chip in uh, and work together to achieve sort of uh, good testing and actually uh, re which results in sort of great quality products. So this is really, really important that everyone is involved. Um, and we as uh, test engineers or quality engineers, we actually want to sort of be there for, for the rest of the team, uh, coach them to think about testability even better, uh, try to sort of utilize the different test techniques uh, that we know uh, even better so, to, so their test effort is um, even more productive and also try to share our knowledge uh, with all the different other roles and involve them in, in this testing effort because we need to have quality assurance and, and test efforts done from the idea phase when the code is committed, write a lot of unit tests, integration tests, service tests, we need to sort of experiment in production with all of these different changes, get that feedback really fast into the team and actually do this cycle all over again, um, continuously, basically. So in order to achieve this, we need to sort of break down these silos when it comes to who is owning the testing. And this needs to be sort of democratized across the entire uh, team that is actually delivering a service or a product. So basically, a lot of these things that we have talked about now are actually incorporated in this modern testing principles, um, like the, everything that we do and our priority basically is to improve the business um, and accelerate the team, uh, try to sort of um, democratize uh, the testing effort, um, do a lot of continuous uh, improvement along the way uh, to, or in order to catch different uh, failures and provide this safety net that we have uh, mentioned as well and also care about the quality culture in the team that we sort of as test engineers, the quality engineers can actually coach and lead um, and nurture actually the team towards a quite more mature quality culture. And we know that of course the only persons that can actually judge uh, the, or are capable of judging the, the quality uh, are actually our users and our, our end uh, customers as well. And we also want to use the data that we can collect extensively so we can understand the usage and also how we can improve the, the products that we create and the services that create. And we also know that in some way, uh, expanding these testing abilities and know-how across the team could actually reduce some of the, the work that we as test engineers or quality engineers do. Um, and it could also reduce the need for a dedicated testing specialist, even though we can all have sort of our both agreements and disagreements with, with this uh, last statement here, but we will sort of see how this turns out uh, in, in the future as well. But if you're going to look a bit in, into the future, um, how are we actually going to test software in the future? Um, of course, if we look at our um, test uh, strategy that we have today, like a quick feedback, I think in the future we want to have even quicker feedback. So basically, while we are typing our code uh, and our changes, that we want to have feedback uh, from uh, sort of the, um, the tool that we're using to write this, if things are working, if, if it doesn't work, sort of that we know about it uh, even quicker. And we have also all seen that this has been uh, something that a lot of the uh, 
um, the vendors that are developing these tools are actually investing in and, um, and, and doing. So I think this will be actually a reality that is basically quite um, short uh, ahead when it comes into the future. And when it comes to automation, we are definitely seeing this hyper automation as sort of the next step uh, in, uh, in this area because it's becoming easier and easier to automate. Uh, basically, everyone can do some form of automation uh, when it comes to like doing some recursive or, or reoccurring testing that can be a regression testing that can be actually automated. So you don't need to be a developer uh, anymore sort of to actually do these kinds of things. Of course, you need to do that on a, like a lower level, like a unit tests and API test integration tests. But when it comes to more sort of customer perspective tests or UI tests, end-to-end -end tests, we can definitely utilize the hyper automation much, much more. We also know that data analytics are becoming more and more powerful. And we also think that this will be something that will power actually the software engineering going forward. Um, everything from uh, if you run your UI tests that you actually get much more information about what is actually happening in production, uh, what the changes that you've made, how they have actually affected your runtime, how they are affected uh, different parts of your services. And also, uh, we know that a lot of these things are, are being in use by larger companies like uh, Facebook, where you can actually predict sort of which tests you should actually run uh, and not run all the tests uh, that you have in your suite in order to sort of make use of this uh, sort of changes that are made are basically riskless or, or done quite uh, quite in a, in a good way. Uh, we know that no manual regression testing or checking that we are doing today, uh, I think that will continue to, to go in, into the future as well, so no, no bigger changes there. But when it comes to exploratory testing and also non-functional testing, we know that uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, they are sort of in combination with uh, all of the data analytics, they will ba basically enhance both the exploratory testing experience and also the performance, security, and reliability testing. So this is the next big thing that is basically coming to, to the testing uh, uh, efforts, basically. So uh, there are a lot of things on the, on the market uh, today uh, that are sort of looking promising, uh, but we are still quite in an early early phase. But as we all know how things develop sort of in, in our industry, this can come sort of overnight and we need to definitely prepare for, prepare for this and, and actually experiment with, with the tools that are all already out there. And this is something that we are looking into in this one as well. And when it comes to the whole team approach, I think we will extend this even more. So to more of the whole ecosystem approach, basically we will uh, involve the customers and our end users even more in, in the development phases than we are doing today. Even though they are involved to some degree today, I think we will actually expand on this and, and actually evolve even more um, in the coming years. And one of the last part, of course, is that the context uh, still matters, no matter where we sort of turn, uh, which um, sort of difference we, we make, we know that context is really what is uh, important here. Thinking a bit back in the beginning of the presentation, like testing a pen, testing a pacemaker, uh, what are the differences between here? So context is still something that uh, matters. Really, really, really important to think about that. And we all know that sort of software is eating the world, um, as was uh, coined by uh, Andresen. And uh, 
we also know that the AI and the data will actually eat the software as well. So this is basically the biggest changes that we will see uh, coming up. And at the end, um, I will definitely leave you at this, that we know that things are changing really fast. We know that change partly probably is the only constant that we have. We what we are sort of doing today even. Uh, if you just think about what we did five, ten years ago and how we are doing testing and quality assurance today, really two different things. Um, some, something has sort of changed drastically. Others uh, have remained the same or evolved. And the only thing that we know in the future, in five or ten years from now, um, things will be really different. So probably watching this video in, in ten years uh, will feel like... Uh, I'm talking about something really uh, dif different and not something that is recommended doing uh, 10 years or 20 years from now, even. So every time a change happens, uh, especially those that impacts us directly, they, they can seem frightening, they can be a bit scary or non-comprehensive at first, but I think it's really important to take some small steps um, at the time and actually we need to turn this change that is happening into a chance, actually. So this is actually our chance to become even better uh, and actually improve uh, our way of working and actually doing even more valuable work uh, than we do today. So with that, I will thank you for watching and see you next time in the Vismar Takes Off.